Friends, as we return to our sermon series in 1 Corinthians, let me now invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, let me remind you of the context of our passage this morning. Paul has just rebuked these Corinthians for their divisiveness. He calls them immature, infantile in their behavior. And the reason he does this is because they were using the values of Corinthian culture to judge their leaders. See, God had graciously opened the eyes of these Corinthians to see the wisdom of His Word through the message of Christ and Him crucified. But instead of viewing their leaders through gospel lenses... Instead of having a wise and godly understanding of leadership, they were now trusting in the cultural wisdom of Corinth to judge them, to size them up. And as a result of these judgments, factions were formed. Instead of being built up in the faith through the wisdom of the Word, they were being corrupted by these ideas. Cultural wisdom was tearing down the church. It was defiling the congregation. Instead of putting on the mind of Christ, they had put on the mind of Corinthian culture. And so what Paul does here in this passage is that he addresses the folly of their thinking. And he reminds them of their identity as Christians, as those sanctified in Jesus Christ. So look with me at 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 to 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 17. This is God's holy word. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let's pray. Father, we now ask that you would do the supernatural work of renewing our minds by your Spirit. Help us see the glory of our Savior and your wise design for the building up of his blood-bought church. Speak, O Lord, 
and fulfill in us and through us all your purposes for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next Friday, after the service, as you all heard earlier, we will gather in the chapel next door for a time of thanksgiving and prayer. And the reason we're doing this is because Psalm 92 verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. The Lord has been so kind and faithful in sustaining us as a congregation, especially through the chaos of last year. And so we will reflect on His mercies. We'll give thanks and ask Him for more grace. Now, if you're not a member, but you are a regular attender here at Grace Church, perhaps you're considering on joining the church, well, we want to invite you as well to attend the meeting. Come and join us. You can stay back after the service. Join us as we give thanks to the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about this, I started to scroll through some old WhatsApp messages from last year. And this one caught my eye. May 5th, 2020. This runs from John Paragas, saying, John says, please pray for us. There's a big fire near us. You remember that incident, John? Where is he? John Paragas, there he is. That was the Abco Tower Fire. You remember that? I mean, the whole thing went up in flames. An entire side of the building was gutted. Several apartments were damaged, badly damaged. People lost their belongings. Flaming debris from the building destroyed several cars on the ground floor. I mean, the ground area in front of the building was like a war zone. When asked about the damage... Colonel Sami, the head of the Sharjah Civil Defense, said that the reason the fire spread so quickly and, and caused the damage that it did was because of a certain kind of building material that was used in the construction boom of 2005. The building was installed with a kind of combustible aluminum composite panel cladding, and this helped the fire spread quickly. Now, This cladding, by the way, has been banned since 2017, but the older buildings still have them. The reason people use them in the construction boom was because these panels gave the building a sleek and modern look. Plus, it was cheap and easy to install. It was quick. You could finish the building quickly. There was money to be made in the construction boom. You could give it out for rent. People were hurrying up. People thought they were doing the right thing. They thought they were doing the right thing by using them. Until the fire came to test the durability of their work. Now the Apostle Paul in our passage this morning teaches us that sometimes Christian leaders and even members can approach spiritual growth in the same way. Paul compares the congregation to a building and he calls leaders and members to build carefully, taking into consideration what kind of materials they are building with. If you lean on the materials of cultural wisdom, like the Corinthians did, becoming enamored with power and reputation and eloquence, then no matter how sincere your motivations are, Those are poor building materials. 
and they won't last because the wisdom of this age is doomed to pass away, 1 Corinthians 2.6. Secondly, Paul reminds us that the congregation is, is God's dwelling place. It is His temple. How we think about the church ought to inform how we approach the very task of building. Christians are members of the body of Christ. We have received the Spirit of God so that we might understand His words. And we are to understand His words so that we can spiritually discern the task of building up the church. Now the Corinthians were given into the sins of jealousy and strife and division because they were building with the wrong materials. The materials of cultural wisdom. They were not being discerning. And like those builders of the Abco building, they did it because it looked impressive to the world around them. When they should have carefully considered what it looked like to God. And so Paul teaches us two things when it comes to spiritual growth in the church. Number one, take care how you build. Take care how you build. We'll spend most of our time this afternoon on that one point. And then secondly and quickly, remember whose building it is. Remember whose building it is. Let's consider that first point. Take care how you build. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Paul says that God graciously called me to be an apostle and I came and I planted this church. I did it by His grace. I did it according to the grace that was given specifically to me. This was His unique task. And He says He did it like a skilled master builder. Or as the New American Standard puts it, wise master builder. He laid the foundation. And we all know what that foundation is, don't we? Look at verse 11. It's Jesus Christ. It is the message of Christ and Him crucified. Christ is the power and the wisdom of God to those who are being saved. And Paul recognizes that now someone else is building upon that foundation. A foundation requires a structure on top of it. This is a living building. Further growth is expected by Paul. And in verse 6, when referring to the church as God's field, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it is God who gives the growth. God's grace, His divine power, is what produces our spiritual growth. But He uses His people as means, as instruments to carry out this important task of building His church. Paul laid the foundation Someone else was building upon it. Now we know that this cannot refer to Apollos because he wasn't there at the time of Paul writing this letter. You can see that from 1 Corinthians 16 verse 12. Now this refers to other leaders who were in the church at Corinth. Possibly even those who might have been leading those factions, those divisions. And Paul sees all of this as activity 
There's some kind of building going on, but he wants us to zoom in and see what exactly, what kind of building is going on, what kind of growth is taking place. Beloved, spiritual growth is described for us in the New Testament in terms of building or building up. And while Paul is primarily addressing Christian leaders here, it also applies to every one of us because we have all been called to this task. Your elders, your pastors are called to build by equipping you. You see that in Ephesians 4.12. And you are called to build up one another by speaking the truth in love to each other. You see that in Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. You build by instruction. You build by instructing through words. And according to Paul, words taught by the Spirit. And we are called to do this with great care. Look at verses 10 to 11. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you are an elder in this congregation, if you're a pastor, and I say this to you as much as I say this to myself, we must watch our doctrine very carefully. As Christian leaders, we are not called to be creative. We're not called to be innovators. We are called to be faithful messengers. Follow the blueprint. We have been given a manual, a manual that God has prepared for those who love him, says Paul. We are called to teach and preach the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And just as we ourselves have learned from faithful men who have gone before us, we are to pass on these teachings to other men who will be able to teach others also. An elder must be able to teach. He must be one who loves the Word and is willing to conform his mind to it so that he sees all things and judges all things through the lens of Scripture. That's what leaders ought to be like. When a foundation is laid, that determines what you can build and what you cannot build. And in a similar way, Paul says our teaching ought to be consistent and in line with the gospel of Christ and Him crucified, in accordance with the apostolic word. This is so important that Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 4, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands, get this, Nothing. He says in Galatians 1.8, But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
Beloved, I don't have a personal vision for this church. I don't want to have a personal vision for this church. What I do have is marching orders. And so do you. Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ abides with us when we preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations by teaching them the obedience of faith. And friends, as members, you too must take care how you build one another up in the faith. In fact, you are called to not just disciple one another, but to do it well. To do it well. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, listen carefully, strive to excel in building up the church. Did you hear that? Strive to excel in building up the church. Brothers and sisters, does this describe you? Is that what's on the forefront of your mind as you walk in to the gathering? Friends, it's because of this, this passage and many other passages in the New Testament that we at Grace Church teach and value meaningful membership. We ask, we expect and we deliver a serious level of commitment to one another. Not because we think that it's fun to poke our noses into everyone's business. But because Jesus commands us to be lovingly and truthfully and personally involved in the spiritual growth of one another. And he calls us to do it well. This is his wise design. Friends, this is biblical. And the only reason this would sound strange to you is because you have not been reading your Bibles. Or for the most part of your Christian life, you've been part of a church where they have not taught the Bible and have not taught you what a church is. To build up one another in the faith through one-on-one -on -one discipleship in the body, is a gracious privilege, brothers and sisters. Don't be disobedient to that calling. Don't despise the grace of God by not being involved in each other's lives. Do each other's spiritual good. And be careful. Be very careful what kind of building materials you use. Because there are kinds that will last and there are kinds that won't last. Look at verses 12 to 13. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones. That's some costly material right there. And then there's this. Wood, hay, straw. Cheap stuff. 
each one's work, what we have built, will become manifest. It will be evident to all. It will be seen for what it truly is. How will that happen? For the day, that's the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, when He comes to judge the world, that day, that day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. See, when Paul speaks of gold and silver and precious stones, he has Solomon's temple in mind. You can read about that in 1 Kings and and Chronicles. That's the only other place in Scripture where you can read about a foundation being laid and then gold and silver and other precious stones being built on that. But the point that Paul is making is that these are imperishable materials, unlike wood or hay and straw, which will not stand God's testing. Friends, there is a day coming when the building will be tested by a divine building inspector. There is a day coming when the quality of each one's ministry will be tested. There is a day of reckoning or accounting at hand. And Paul wants the Corinthian to be aware of that. It matters what kind of church you're in. 2 Thessalonians 1 verses 7 to 8 says that on that day the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire. You know, this fire imagery tells us something about God, doesn't it? He's pure and holy. Hebrews 12 verse 29 says our God is a consuming fire. He will come to judge those who do not know God and then He will come to judge those who do not obey the gospel. Same thing. But friends, understand this. He will also judge the work of all Christians. Especially Christian leaders. Now that might be new to some of you. See, usually when we think of judgment, we think of it as only being reserved for unbelievers, for for non-Christians, those who have rejected the gospel, those who have rejected Christ as Lord and Savior. But friends, Scripture tells us that believers will also be judged. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 to 10. Paul says this, We, Christians, make it our aim to please Him, that is Jesus Christ. Why? Here's the reason. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Just because you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, don't think you won't give an account for how you have lived your Christian life. This is not about a judgment unto heaven or hell. No, the Lord Jesus has saved us. We belong to Him. This is a judgment that our Lord will make concerning the work of His servants. This is not a testing of persons. Look at the text. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
You know, sometimes our Roman Catholic friends will point to this text as a support for purgatory. Rome describes purgatory as an intermediate state after death where souls go to make purification, to make satisfaction for past sins in order to become fit for heaven. Not only is purgatory a blasphemous teaching that makes a complete mockery of the sufficiency of Christ's atonement, it's simply not taught anywhere in the scriptures. You know, this passage says nothing about an intermediate state for the purification of sinful souls, but it talks about a testing of the Christian's work. When we stand before the Lord on that day, it will be revealed who built wisely and who built foolishly. Love it, if you can read your Bible and understand it, that is because of the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. If you can trust these words and obey them over and against the voices of your culture and the rest of the world, if you can exhort one another with these words, that's wise building. It's wise building. That's building with materials that will stand the test. Listening to the words of Jesus and doing them by the power of His Spirit and instructing and counseling one another with these words. That's the act of building. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 24, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Friends, build in such a way that you do not compromise or distort the foundation. We've already seen what will happen if you do that. Chapter 1, verse 17, the cross of Christ will be emptied of its power. Brother pastors, elders, build the church with materials that will last forever. If you build the church with good advice instead of good news, Charm instead of confession, entertainment instead of exposition, emotional experiences instead of exhortation, theories instead of theology, it won't stand the test. It won't stand the test. But if you resolve to know nothing among this congregation but Christ and Him crucified, if you resolve to be men of the Word of God, if you faithfully teach and preach sound doctrine with the goal of building up the church in love and in holiness and in unity, that will survive. Only God's wisdom can survive God's fire of testing. Brothers and sisters, members, if you will repent of your cancerous individualism, and your pride and you resolve to minister the word of Christ and exhort one another as you ought to. If you confess your sins and apply the truth of the gospel to your lives, that sort of building up, that growth, that'll survive. And so when you meet up with others and you exhort and you encourage one another, always reflect on your conversations and ask yourselves, what kind of materials did I just build with? Sisters, you have a tremendous 
ministry in this congregation. Teaching and discipling other women. Are you building with straw? Or precious stones? You know, if you're thinking, I I want to build with precious stones, but I, I think all that I have is straw. I want to learn. Please teach me how to minister to others. Will come and speak to your elders. Let us connect you to another godly woman. Brothers and sisters, it is our privilege as your elders to equip you with biblical, Christ-centered resources to help you grow. Men, how much of your schedule is devoted to things that will burn up? And how much of it is devoted to things that will survive into eternity? Paul says, gospel-centered, scripture-saturated ministry will survive the fire of God's testing and you will receive a reward. Look at verse 14. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Beloved, this is meant to be a motivation for us to build well. Now we know that love for God ought to be the motivation for us to minister well. But we cannot deny the fact that Scripture does speak of rewards for the believer. So think of Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Now we don't know what exactly is the nature of this reward. Well, you might think, well, surely... God Himself is our great reward, right? There's nothing that can be better than delighting in Him and in spending in His presence and enjoying Him and knowing Him for all eternity. But friends, Scripture does give us some hints about rewards. In the parable of the talents, the master says to his servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. More responsibilities. And then he says, enter into the joy of your master. Joy. In Luke's account of the parable of the Minas, the master gives to his servant as a reward for his stewardship authority over many cities. More responsibilities. Jesus fulfilled his work on earth while looking forward to the joy that was set before him. Joy. When Paul speaks of what he, what he looks forward to at Jesus' coming in 1 Thessalonians 2 verses 19 to 20. He says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord? Before the Lord at his coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He's talking about the Thessalonians themselves. He's delighting in them. In a job well done. And so since scripture does not give us much to go on other than these 
small hints. We ought to hold all these things together. The believer's reward for faithful and wise work will be to certainly rejoice over the church, over what we have built by God's grace alone. We will rejoice over that like Paul. But we will also rejoice knowing that the Lord Jesus is pleased. That He is pleased with how you labored. He is pleased with how you preached, how you taught, how you counseled, how you discipled, how you spoke, how you rebuked, and how you exhorted His blood-bought people. You will know His good pleasure. And you will enter into the joy of your Master. And you will hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. But Paul warns these believers at at Corinth that if you continue to use the wisdom of Corinth to assess leaders and spread that teaching, a teaching that produces ungodliness, if those are the materials that you're going to use, then expect a different outcome. If you use shoddy and flimsy materials, it will not survive the fire of testing. You will forfeit your reward. Look at verse 15. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Listen to those words. You will suffer loss. Brother pastors, I wonder how those words sound to you. Brothers and sisters, imagine that scene. You're standing before your Savior and you get to look back on your ministry and He assesses your ministry as a member in this congregation and it all goes up in flames. amounts to nothing. But notice what the text says. If you are a leader who builds foolishly, using the tools of pragmatism and cultural wisdom, you will suffer loss, though you yourself will be saved, but only as through fire. You will be saved. Do you know why? Because you're not justified on the basis of how well you pastored your congregation or how well you ministered to one another. You're justified on the basis of the work of Christ alone. But you will be saved like a man running out of a building, burning building. Now if you're someone, someone here perhaps, who's thinking, oh, that's great. I'm saved anyways. Why bother? Why bother with careful shepherding or bothered with, bother with committing myself to learning sound doctrine and reading big books so that I can build others up? I'll be saved. Friend, if that's you, that says a lot about your relationship with the Savior. 
Listen, I know that Jesus loves me. I know that I am secure in Him. But when I stand before my Jesus, my Savior, I want to see His good pleasure. I want to see His smile. I want to hear those words, Well done, son. Well done. I don't want to lose that. And if that doesn't matter to you, you need to examine yourself if you are in the faith. If you truly know and love your Savior as you say you do. You see, love for your Savior is not at odds with the doctrine of rewards. You look forward to your reward and you labor steadfastly because you love Him. We love because He first loved us. And God demonstrated that love by sending His only Son, our Savior, to die in the place of sinners for all those who would turn away from their sins and put their trust in Him. Jesus Christ gave Himself up for the church. Does that mean anything to you? He worked salvation on our behalf and He faced God's fiery wrath so that those who trust in Him would come to know not God's fiery wrath, but His good pleasure. He died for our sins and rose from the dead to an indestructible life so that in Him we could have our eyes opened. To see His Word, to understand His Word, to see the wisdom of His Word, and to know the joy of belonging to Him and serving His people. Friend, if you do not know Him, come to Him. Come to Him and know Him. Call on Him and He will open your eyes and you will get to know this great love which we speak of. And you will know the great privilege that we have been given to serve Him. We serve Him because we belong to Him. He has purchased us with His blood. And this is why we ought to build with care because the church is His. That brings us to our second and final point. Remember whose building it is. Look at verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? You know, it should, not, it should be no surprise to us that Paul calls the church God's temple after he calls it God's building in verse 9. But notice the way he asks the question. Do you not know? Friends, remember what he's trying to do. He's trying to teach them Christian discernment to put on the mind of Christ to abandon cultural wisdom that apes after reputation and eloquence and to help them see their current predicament through the lens of scripture do you not know he says by the way this is how you build with good materials you get to the heart of the matter by reminding people what they have forgotten about their identity what they have forgotten about the nature of the church, and then you point them to Christ. 
This is something that Paul does throughout this letter in order to turn their attention back to the wisdom of the cross, back to the words of the Spirit in his letter. Do you not know? How can you adopt these cultural values and then judge people in the church based on them when the Spirit who opened your eyes to embrace the Savior lives right here in the church? You know, in these two verses, 16 and 17, the you is in plural. And that means he's not referring to an individual, but to the congregation as a whole. You all. The church is the dwelling place, the temple of God. It is the place of the spirit of the crucified, resurrected, and glorified Savior. And he dwells in you, he says. Do you think he will take lightly that you are using poor materials when he has richly supplied you with all that you need for his sons and daughters to be complete, fully equipped for every good work? When it cost his son his blood to open your eyes. You want to dip into culture instead of his word? The church is God's temple. You know, the temple in the Old Testament finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the true temple. And under the new covenant, all those who are united to Christ through the Spirit are members of his body. In him, in Christ, the church is the new temple. The dwelling place of God. We see this most clearly in Ephesians 2, 21 to 22. In Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, that He would build His church. He said that, didn't He? Just read the rest of the New Testament and you figure out how he does it. He does it through his spirit-filled people. Therefore, as good stewards of God's varied gifts of grace, we ought to serve one another in the strength that God supplies. You are God's temple. His spirit dwells in the church. Understand, dear friends, the nature of this congregation. It's not a country club where you come to be serviced. No, it is the church of Jesus Christ where you come to serve and to build up one another in love. But then Paul also serves the Corinthians a warning. And this too, beloved, is a part of what it means to build wisely. Warnings are precious materials to build with because they remind us of precious truths. Verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. In other words, the congregation is holy because the Holy One dwells in our midst. I love the way some versions put it, for God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. That is what you are. Paul says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. That's a promise. 
Now, it's one thing to build with trashy material. It's quite another matter to destroy the congregation. That's a move that's disastrous. Heresy and false teaching will do that. Preaching another gospel will do that. Unrepentive divisiveness will do that. No one should mess with the household of God in that way. Now, it's possible that the actions and the teachings of some of these divisive people were so destructive that Paul had questions about their faith. We know this because of 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19. He says, I believe that there are divisions among you, and that's God's way of showing us who's a genuine believer and who's not. Friends, divisions defile the congregation, and it can destroy a congregation. And so this sort of destructive tearing down of the congregation is probably a reference to those who are not only subscribing to the wisdom of the world and were divisive, but who were also unwilling to change. They were unrepentant. And Paul's warning is, if you destroy the church, God will destroy you. God will destroy you. Brothers, the church is dear to the Lord. It is His household, and we have been given the privilege and the joy to build to His glory. It is a holy task. We dare not build in such a way that would cause spiritual harm to the body of Christ. We dare not offer substandard devotion to what He has called us to do. We dare not mess with the church. Do you call yourself a disciple? Then you're a learner. You are called to instruct one another, to build one another up so that together we may attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Take care how you build. Take care how you build. Because the day will disclose it. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege we have been given to serve the saints in the body of Christ. Fill us with your Spirit that we may strive to excel in building one another up in the faith. Lord, we pray that we would desire to be theologically sound and Christ-centered in all our discipling and counseling so that your church may be built on the rock. Keep us faithful. Keep us diligent so that we know that our labors will not be in vain. Help us, O Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.